0: Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network. You're listening to Powerbombs and Potables brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerbombsPPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can also follow us on Instagram and on Tapped at Process Potables. Check out our other shows on Twitter at Process Potables, at PucksPPN, and at PopcornPPN. Make sure to uh, check out under the Process Potables feed the live pod we just recorded this past Friday night where we discuss all the Philly sports coming back the Union, the Eagles, the Phillies, the Flyers, the Sixers, and is available under the post Process Potables page. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, the more, check out www.process Potables.com Well, I am about to peel back the curtain. This is the second time I am recording this podcast, so I am going to be really fucking pissed off when we talk about a lot of things, just because I'm in a bad mood on this week's Powerbombs and Potables. Potables. And welcome to this week's edition of Powerbombs and Potables, part of the podcast, Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates, and I am your host every single week as we recap the week that was in professional wrestling. So before we start, we always start with the news that was in pro wrestling. And what really pisses me the fuck off, being that I already said that, you know, I'm pissed off doing this one. I had a nice sample already for this week's quick sip, so we're going to see what happens when we do this one. Yep, that was fucking weak sauce. Well, this week's quick sips. Let's go. (music) All right, so I already started drinking, but I'm going to continue to drink Chris Jericho's Little Bit of the Bubbly. All right, so this is uh, from a winery out in Napa Valley. Let's see. It is (laughs) Knocking Point Winery in Napa Valley. (laughs) It is a 2018 American Sparkling Wine. It clocks in at 12.8% ABV, and this is just a really fucking cool bottle. Mind you, this is sold out now, but this uh, is definitely a bottle that I'm going to keep. Jericho on the front, a little bit of the bubbly, the AEW emblem. Uh, Now it's a goddamn collector's item, so now I'm going to just have to drink more. It is sweet but dry. I really enjoy it, not just because it's because Jericho. I mean, some some uh, champagnes are a little eh, a little dry, too dry for me. It's got a nice blend. Uh, we'll start off the news this week. Kari Sane finished up her time at WWE after her contract expired. After this past Monday night's Raw, Sane went to Twitter and said, "Quote: My time in NXT and WWE's locker rooms was incredible. Everyone was kind, funny, and talented." So every day was full of happiness. Also, I was saved by the supportive staff behind the scenes. I will forever love and respect all these professionals I had the pleasure of working with. End quote. Sane was a former NXT Women's Champion, WWE Women's Tag Team Champion, and a winner of the May Young Classic. Brie Bella and Daniel Bryan have announced the newest addition to their family, a baby boy. So for now, they are naming this child Baby Danielson until they can come up with a name. Uh, he was born on Saturday, August 1st. And then, followed by Sunday, the announcement came from Nikki that the day before, on July the 31st, their son was welcomed into um, the world. So, perfect for their TV show that both of them had given birth within 24 hours. Sure, there'll be plenty of footage of them both in the hospital at the same time, so it couldn't have worked out any better for them. Eddie Kingston made his AEW debut two weeks ago in the TNT Championship Open Challenge against Cody Rhodes Uh, that first began, if you recall, with a tremendous promo that we played on this program. Despite being unable to defeat Rhodes in that uh, match, Eddie received a bunch of online support from fans wanting for him to be signed to the promotion. Well, they got their wish, The 38-year-old was signed this past week and was announced by AEW that he is now All Elite. He previously wrestled uh, under the NWA banner before COVID had um, hit. Matt Cardona, AKA Zack Ryder, made his AEW debut on Dynamite this past Wednesday night by making the save for Cody Rhodes, while he was attacked by the Dark Order after his match with Warhorse. Wrestling Inc. reports that Cardona is currently working on a five appearance deal with the company, which means he is currently on a short term deal. Cardona was released from the WWE in April during the company's massive layoffs. AEW has already confirmed that Cardona's gone to team with Cody to face John Silver and Alex Reynolds of the Dark Order this coming Wednesday night on Dynamite. A mistrial has officially been declared in the Jeff Jarrett and Global Wrestling Entertainment versus Anthem wrestling lawsuit. According to a report from PW Insider earlier this week, the United States uh, District Court Judge Waverly D. Crenshaw Jr. declared a mistrial earlier today. Uh, Well, that was earlier last week. Uh, After Anthem filed a motion requesting such, numerous factors came up allowing Anthem's request for a mistrial. A claim from Jarrett's lawyer had uh, prejudiced the jury by stating that Ed Nordholm who is the owner and CEO, I believe. Well, not the owner, but the CEO of Anthem Entertainment. He was not present for court proceedings on July the 20th, as well as bringing up numbers regarding liabilities in closing arguments, despite the court stressing that they were to be left for the discussion about potential damages. The judge has ordered that the GFW Amped tapes, which were really what started all of this, um... That they uh, are to be preserved and a conference call is scheduled for September 11th to begin setting up a new trial. The verdict, in which the jury found Anthem Media liable, has been vacated and the jury has been dismissed. Excalibur was not used, if you recall, this past week on uh, Wednesday night's AEW Dynamite taping. It has been rumored that the reason for this was due to an angle from 17 years ago at a pro-wrestling guerrilla event where he called the Human Tornado... Well, a racial slur, but for what it's worth, and I'm not even defending this, part of that same promo was Kevin Owens. The Human Tornado, apparently part of his gimmick was he would not force, but would highly encourage people to use racial slurs as a way to get heat going into their matches with him back at Pro Wrestling Guerrilla years ago. I don't get why anybody would think that that's a great thing. but. That's why people like the Human Tornado only make it as far as the Indies. That's all I'm saying. Dave Meltzer reported that in the uh, latest edition of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that Excalibur was the one who made the call to not appear on Dynamite. Uh, There's currently no word on if he'll be back this coming week. He was in Florida for the tapings, just wasn't used. The announcer himself has said that he has regretted doing this multiple times. Chris Statlander and Charlotte Flair both underwent successful surgeries this week. Statlander had a torn ACL repaired and Charlotte Flair had. Wh- well, you know. We wish them both a speedy recovery. And that's it for this week's quick sips. All right. So I ran the fuck through that. There's going to be a lot of four letter words in on this one. Hopefully you are um, OK with that. First thing I'm going to start off with not even WWE related. I watched Talking Mania this past Saturday night and it was. The Big LG, Luke Gallows, and Carl Anderson's love letter to professional wrestlers. It is the scary movie wrestling spoof of pay-per-views. So if you drink a lot of beer and you don't take this seriously, you will be highly entertained. There are cameos from everybody from Teddy Long to David Penzer to Kurt Hawkins to Mike Bennett making his return and even spoofing on his own self. Rapid delivery Rory Fox. And if you don't know rapid delivery Rory Fox is, he took on Zack Ryder as a preliminary talent on ECW back in like 2007 and had his entire cock meat exposed on live television. And they couldn't shoot around it because, well, he had his tights. You're supposed to have tights that are um, stitched, on the side you don't get them stitched underneath uh your grundle well that's where his were and Ryder went to move him and they split right at the seam so there's no uh any in that and they do stuff with rory fox the main event sex ferguson chad too bad in a boner yard match spoofing the boneyard match from this past year's wrestlemania of course if you watch any of the south par regional wrestling you remember tex ferguson the cleaned up version of sex ferguson And Chad too bad in that. So take an hour and a half, have some beer, have some fun. Spend the $15 to watch this pay-per-view. It is a fun time. So I'm patching this in right now. So after we got done recording this, it is currently 10 a.m. Monday morning at 9.49 this morning. ESPN, well, Kevin uh, Seffert has... Confirmed that the XFL has been purchased by a group. You ready for this one? Including Dwayne Johnson. The Rock has purchased the XFL for $15 million in a deal contingent on court approval coming August 7th. Wow. The purchasing firm is Redbird Capital Partners. And the quote from The Rock is this, the acquisition of the XFL with my talented partners, Danny Garcia and Jerry uh, Cardinal, is the investment for me that's rooted deeply in two things, my passion for the game and my desire to always take care of the fans, said Dwayne Johnson. With pride and gratitude for all that I've built with my own two hands, I plan to apply These calluses to the XFL and look forward to creating something special for the players, fans, and everyone involved for the love of football, end quote. My goodness. Wow. You know, you take the the XFL brand off of the dirty hands of someone like Vince McMahon and you put it on somebody as beloved – in Hollywood and the world as The Rock? <sighs> Things are about to get very, very interesting in uh, the professional football world. I'm sure more news will come to this next week on our episode. Well, back to where we were. On to Monday Night Raw from this week. Uh, Randy Orton opened the show talking about how much he's accomplished in his career. And has set his sights on the WWE title and Drew McIntyre at SummerSlam. So if you recall last week, we talked about how this week it was supposed to be Drew versus Dolph in a rematch from Extreme Rules for the WWE title. Then later last week, they announced that it wasn't going to be for the title. And then they put that title match back on because obviously they now had plans for SummerSlam, and those plans are Randy Orton. Personally, I don't see Randy Orton winning this match because... He's done it so many times. You put the belt back on him. What feud is there for him? This is actually going to be a very good match, in my opinion. I think that these two, as as the bigger guys, it, it should work. It should. Randy Orton usually pulls good matches out of most people. And uh, Drew you know, needs to keep that momentum going, in my opinion. The little momentum that he has being that there's been no crowds. But he's doing a great job. Randy Orton obviously has been uh, managed these last couple of months by Ric Flair, who has been absent due to his wife, Wendy Barlow, coming down with COVID-19. He is still, still trying to make sure that he is there in Randy Orton's corner come SummerSlam. We'll see how that works out. Uh, But personally, I think coming out of this, it will not hurt Randy Orton whatsoever to lose this match. Thus, more the reason why I feel he should just be the one that doesn't come out with the win at SummerSlam. Nia Jax started a promo this week with Shayna Baszler, which I am actually a fan of because Shayna Baszler is just a brawler and Nia Jax is just very unsafe. Just have these two go beat the fuck out of each other. And when, you know, Nia pisses Shayna off, well, Shayna can just, you know, tap her ass out for real. Not saying that they're actually going to go into a shoot for each other, but. They turned it into a match, which clearly is going to end up making it for SummerSlam. Well, in a normal world, it would be for SummerSlam. But for all we know, it's going to be for all this week. But they had a match this past week on Raw that within a minute, both of them were outside of the ring and got counted out. Which, I mean, is great for 1989 superstars. But if it's only going to lead to another television match, then what the fuck was the point in it? So... We'll see where we go with that. There was uh, a weird tag team, I guess you could call, triple threat match where Street Profits were the ring announcers for it, and it was Andrade and and, uh, Angel Garza versus the Viking Raiders versus Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. And we get, once again, Andrade and Angel Garza coming out of this as the number one contenders. Now, my thing is this. swig of the little bit of the bubbling here at 9 o'clock in the morning on your Monday Angel Garza and Andrade already had a shot and they lost it the street profits are extremely cold but yet they retain the titles in that first defense so I don't see the point in them even going to this in my opinion you should have gone back to Viking Raiders put the belts back on the Viking Raiders because they're a much more believable team the Street Profits have done nothing since becoming the tag team champions here on the Raw brand, and it's um, just, you know, it, their time is come and gone at this point. They need to reheat themselves back up. The Dominic Mysterio, R- Seth Rollins segment from this week, what a giant clusterfuck. They're already sh- showing tension between Murphy and Rollins. They came out and they beat up Dominic Mysterio. Aleister Black came out for the save. They beat up Aleister Black, shoved his eye into a step, then went to get Dominic Mysterio, and then he beat the shit out of him with a Singapore cane. Naturally. Because Aleister Black got hurt, that meant that Humberto Carrillo had to take his place in a match against Murphy later on in the show, which, wouldn't you guess... Murphy won that match because Umberto Carrillo loses every fucking match ever, which is the reason why I can't take the man seriously. <sighs> the tension with Murphy and Rollins says to me that they're going to try and retreat on this Rollins character at this point, which is a damn shame because at this point, when you think about it, we're almost a year into this Messiah character. And it it had its ups and it had its downs. But this whole I thing with Mysterio is just, that's really what made it jump the shark for me. And I think they're realizing that too. What else happened on, on Monday Night Raw? We're calling this one in the ring. Asuka versus Sasha Banks. These two had another great match until the finish. The match started with uh, Bailey and Kairi Sane at ringside. Once the bell rang, Kairi Sane chased Bailey to the back. So we have this match. All of a sudden, while Asuka's beating down on uh, Sasha in the middle of the ring, it flashes on the screen where Bailey's just beating the shit out of Kairi Sane, which then Asuka decided that she was going to go save her friend. And by doing so, if you recall, she was counted out, but countouts counted as a title change. So Sasha Banks wins the Raw Women's title on a countout. Yeah, that happened this past week on Raw. And, you know, it, it helps, I guess, for the the fact that now she has, I guess you could say, two wins where she has yet to pin or submit Kyrie Sane not saying saying Asuka, which I'm sure they're going to go back to once again at SummerSlam. Because, hey, at this point, my thought process was this. Well, there's no way you can stretch out Bailey and Sasha Banks till WrestleMania. So you got to do it at SummerSlam. But SummerSlam's four weeks from now. And if they hotshot at this point, them losing all the, well, they're going to have to lose the tag titles and then their match will be a winner-take-all match for both of the women's titles. You'd have to have them lose the belts tonight and then magically turn on each other right away and then build up for three weeks. That's hot-shotting. That'll suck. At this point, what you need to do is they need to go out and just continue to be the champions. Start teasing the dissension, probably Royal Rumble. And then build to WrestleMania at that point between the two. You've gone too late before you can make that turn to make it worth anything actually uh, the caliber that it deserves to be. So at this point, you just got to go with it. I think you go Sasha Banks, Asuka once again at SummerSlam. Finally let Sasha get the definitive win. Especially now you could say because she doesn't have her tag team partner there anymore. Um, Although I'm sure that just means that they're going to have Io Shirai drop the women's title have her come up and take Kyrie Sane's place on Raw. Uh, but again, like I said, great match here from Sasha and Asuka again, but another fucking shit finish. The main event on Raw was Drew McIntyre versus Dolph Ziggler, in a stipulation match with Drew was going to announce the same way that Dolph Ziggler did right before their match, and he chose another Extreme Rules match. Which, if I recall from watching this match, there was nothing extreme rules about this match. And Drew McIntyre won, and we put this feud to rest. All in all, Monday Night Raw was an absolute shit show. <clears throat> Tuesday night, Access TV, Impact Wrestling. Uh, this show started off with a world title match Eddie Edwards versus Trey, who uh, was supposed to be in the world title match. At Slammiversary, but was not. So here he is. And uh, Trey ends up having a good match with Eddie. Eddie, of course, wins. The thing that I want to talk about about this show wow. Impact debuted Wrestle House this week. What is Wrestle House? Wrestle House is basically shot like a spoof reality show. Well, kind of if you recall, if you ever watched Legends House, where they stuck a bunch of wrestlers in this house. And uh, it was just all sorts of comedy. Well, this one is hosted by Tommy Dreamer, and it, he does a great job just being the quirky guy. He's wearing a, a, a black dress shirt, white blazer, so he just he pops out just being a goofy Italian guy here. And you have everybody from Rosemary to Ty to Johnny Bravo to the Deaners to Crazy Steve to AC Romero, Kylie Ray, Susie. Uh, Alicia Edwards, uh, there's there's probably even more people in there, but it's just fun skits that they are able to throw in throughout the show. They're all living in this house. There's a, a ring set up in the backyard where they're having matches to see who gets uh, beds and who's sleeping on the floor. Um, oh God, Johnny Swinger, who is always the star of the show. He's he's in this. And he is uh, trying to get Crazy Steve to be his young boy. The ultimate carny is Johnny Swinger, who also makes an appearance in Talking Mania. I I can't put over how much I actually enjoy Wrestle House because it is shot in a way that you know that it is separate from the wrestling show itself. Great job Impact Wrestling on being innovative and in doing something like this. Uh, especially, you know, you can throw in the comedy And um, all this. Rob Van Dam is starting a feud with Sammy Callahan, which started on this show by Sammy, who has been the hacker, hacking a reveal of RVD's girlfriend, Katie Forbes, uh, new pictorial that was released, all with Sammy's face on it. So the execution was funny, but I don't know how well a Sammy Callahan, Rob Van Dam feud can go, especially with Sammy being the babyface and Rob Van Dam being the heel. Think about that. That just, it doesn't seem right to me. Hold on, quick swig here. So, uh, yeah, we're gonna have to see more of that Heath, once again, appeared on this show and he will take on Moose tomorrow night for the TNA world title. If he wins, he gets a spot on the impact roster. This sound familiar to you? Does it? Remember when he was undrafted a couple years back and he would have match after match after match after match before he finally got a job and it finally took for him to get a tag title match for him to get a job? Sounds to me like he's going to be working for it for a couple of weeks. But I will say I feel that him and Moose are actually going to have a good match. And I think that you're actually going to see the wrestler, the competitive side of Heath Miller on this one. As opposed to getting jobber Heath Slater from the last 16 years on WWE programming. Deanna Perrazzo had a match with Kimberly on this, which was it was good, it was okay, it was passable, but it was really used as a catalyst to bring back Jordan Grace, the former champion who dropped about a anniversary to Diana Prado. She comes out with her arm in a sling, gets in the ring, instantly takes the sling off, and then starts beating down on Deanna Prado. What the fuck was this for? If you're gonna do that, take off the sling on the ramp, like... Uh, Watching her struggle to get in the ring just to take it off and then pounce it. Like, what the fuck was that going to do for anything? Stupid, in my opinion. But that's what that was. Uh, I enjoyed their first match. It might have been the best match on the anniversary card was Jordan Grace and Diana Perazzo. So I'm all about seeing more of that uh, at this point in time. Uh, and the main event on the show was the Good Brothers Anderson and Gallows making their debut against Reno Scum. The Good Brothers now rocking some camo. Carl Anderson already getting his balls broken about wearing the camo shorts on the um, on the TV this week. Uh, but they picked up a win. And again, furthering their, their feud with Ace Austin and Madman Fulton, which I'm sure is going to come to fruition in a couple weeks on one of the specials that TNA Impact Wrestling does. Uh, where they'll be able to actually just showcase um, these two. Again, I talked about this last week. I feel that the Good Brothers have to win that match because their their eventual spot has to be against the Motor City Machine Guns for the tag titles. It only makes sense. They are promoting them as they should, as one of the biggest tag teams of the past decade, as they were three-time IWGP World Tag Team Champions, uh, former WWE Tag Team Champions, they won the best tag team in the world tournament. So, Anderson and Gallows, we know what they can do. Again, watch Shop of Mania. It's a good time, especially in these times that we're living in. On to AEW from this past week. Whew. What, um... This was an okay show. Now, obviously, they've had better weeks, and this was one of the live weeks. I always look forward to the live weeks of AEW because, well they're usually the ones where they have more of the surprises. And then the week after is the one that's always taped. They've done a great job of not getting the spoilers out on those weeks, but there's always usually less uh, less interesting things happening. Uh, but, you know, like the Eddie Kingston surprise, that wasn't spoiled. Um, and it, it was what it was. The opening match on this was a 10-man tag match. It was the Best Friends and the Jurassic Express versus the Inner Circle. You know, I'm just—I—I I don't like Luchasaurus' work. I feel it is too horribly choreographed for everything he does. It is not sloppy. I hate everything Marco Stunt does. Um, but Marco Stunt is also on the outside, but they use him in every fucking match. Chucky e. T sucks. The only buddy with anybody with any you know credibility there is Trent. I think that. Th- th- Friggin Jungle Boy is going to be a star on his own. And Orange Cassidy has flair when he fires up. But there are certain times where I feel he needs to fire up that he doesn't. And then it just falls flat. He needs to dial in the times to be Orange Cassidy and the times to fire up. That's just my take on that. This was the return uh, match for Sammy Guevara. And, uh, Matt Hardy hit the ring and ends up shoving Sammy off, because if you recall, before Sammy was suspended, he was in a feud with Matt Hardy, so we're just gonna throw him right the fuck back in that. And he cost them the match with the Best Friends, Jurassic Express, and Orange Cassidy win that match. Swig of the, swig of the bubbly. Swig of the bubbly. It's too early for this shit. On a Monday morning, so, uh... The TNT Championship, this is something I'm gonna talk about. Cody defended this week against uh an indie darling, if you were, named Warhorse. I have never seen this guy wrestle in my life. I'd never heard of him, but there was a huge rumbling for people to want this match, and they got this match. I hope, I just hope, that they're sorry that they asked for this match now. Warhorse comes out to some generic heavy metal music this guy's wearing trunks and a denim vest with like all the classic 80s metal bands on it which to me is badass i fucking love that shit nice big judas p uh judas priest easy for me to say patch on the back of it i saw a kiss patch uh i saw a king diamond patch like, cool stuff i love all those bands The problem is this guy, you know, back in the late eighties, early nineties, there was a guy called the ultimate warrior, big jacked up dude with, with big long hair and face paint and tassels. And he would run around and he would shake the ropes. And in 1995, WCW debuted a guy called the renegade who was a freaking you know, great value version of the ultimate warrior. He, you know, couldn't sell a ticket to put a button in his seat if he tried to. Warhorse is the greater value version of the, or for for Steve of Process Potables, he's the Walgreens Nice Brand version of the Renegade. This guy is maybe 170 pounds soaking wet. He looks to be maybe five foot seven, and he just would come out to this generic metal music, throw up the horns and was headbanging. Then Cody came out and the bell had to fucking ring. Warhorse did not belong in the ring for this match. He is not for somebody like Cody Rhodes who calls most of these matches anyway, Cody could barely call this kid through a match. So I'm I really hope that going forward AEW does a better job with who they're bringing in for this TNT Open ch- Tournament. Not even a tournament. It's an Open Challenge. I'm fired up here. Eddie Kingston was tremendous. Ricky Starks was tremendous. Great surprises. Even when you had the matches with Jungle Boy, who's under contract with the company. Tremendous. This match was Horrible. I didn't like it at all. After the match, the Dark Order hit the ring and attacked Cody. Arn got in the ring and they looked like they were going to corner Arn and this was when Matt Cardona made his debut. Looking fucking huge. Dude is jacked. He's he's looking very Scott Hall-esque from the early 90s. Big Scott Hall time. He's looking jacked. He's got the Hogan tan going. They're now billing him from Strong Island instead of Long Island. I love it. And he's got a match. And he's going to team with Cody this coming Wednesday night on Dynamite to take on the two jobbers of the Dark Order that aren't friggin' Flabby Uno and uh, Stu Grayson, which we'll talk about as well in a couple of seconds. Obviously, this match Wednesday night is going to be for Cody and for um, uh, Matt Cardona to get the win. Eventually, I'd like to see Matt Cardona get a shot against Cody because then you'll actually be able to see a Matt Cardona match that'll go 20 minutes long where he'll be able to have a competitive match and not be selling for, you know, the four minutes that WWE would give him on TV before he would get completely jobbed out. I think that him and Matt Cardona will tear the fucking house down if they have a match together. That's just my opinion big Matt Cardona fan, big Cody fan, but I know what they can do. So why not be positive about the potential of what that could be? Another thing that I want to talk about really quick with that uh, Dark Order thing, and we'll talk about it here as well. So we'll go into this actually. So it's the Dark Order, Evil Uno, Stu Grayson. Uh, They went against Kenny Omega and Hangman for for the tag team titles on this show. Before this match, I believe, was when they showed this, there was a contract signing, and it was the official contract signing for FTR that was filmed earlier in the day, and they brought in a quote-unquote tag team consultant who happens to be Arn Anderson. They looked over all the rules. They they're going to have tag ropes. We've talked about this, I've complained about this, but they've They've made these rules that are going to be for their matches only, which I kind of found weird, but we're trying to create FTR as being the credible tag team. No better way than to have real tag team rules for a tag team match. And hey, eventually I'd like to think that these two guys are going to be the tag team champions what better thing than to have real tag team rules with a real tag team for your tag team title matches? Maybe, just maybe, they'll be able to implement these rules across all of their tag team matches so people can take this shit seriously. They have a great tag team division here in AEW. One of the best, they focus on it, and it's one of the things that I feel really have drawn people to this product. Despite all the other indie things and the Young Bucks and stuff like that, AEW fucked up, first of all, when they came in and acted like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks were over on American television, guess what? Ring of Honor is only on like public access channels at like eleven o'clock on a Saturday night, unless you found it for free when they were when they were showing up on the TV. So they had no mainstream national television exposure, and then they come out. In front of uh, you know this national audience. was just slowly going worldwide. They're getting deals all over the place. But acted like they were over as much as they were on the indies. And Kenny Omega in Japan. But guess what? Here's the thing. They weren't. Because nobody knew the fuck they were. And then instantly the first show out. The Young Bucks job to private party. Which again. I'm not complaining about. Because they were trying to make the Young Tag Team. But in the meantime they hurt their own stock. These VPs of the company, the only one that has given any real credibility here, is Cody. Kenny Omega has flustered horrifically since being in the AEW. Now, there's been talks that this year you're going to get a Kenny Omega heel turn. You might actually be able to build Kenny Omega as a star at that point. But until then, this... Incarnation of Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. They're just not over. And that's just my take on it. The Young Bucks are over with the crowd that they're over with. But anybody who's just passing through the channels, they're going to be like, who are these guys? They're dressed like the Hardy Boys and the Rockers. And they're doing all these flips and shit like that. I like the Young Bucks. I'm not shit talking the Young Bucks. I'm talking about, how, I'm shit talking how they booked themselves so far. Because they're not the stars that they need to be for this company yet. And we are almost one full year into Dynamite. October 1st, I believe, or October 2nd of 2019 was episode one of Dynamite. Today, as I am recording this, it is August the 3rd. We are two months shy of being one full year of All Elite Wrestling on TNT television. That being said, this match, once again... Uh Omega and Paige won this match. After the match, Brody Lee once again sent Anna Jay and Colt Cabana to the back, which has been a really cool thing. Think about it. The Dark Order is is a cult, essentially, is what they're billing it as. And they're trying to recruit Anna Jay, this young girl, and Colt Cabana, a wrestling veteran, who's a babyface. And every time they go to do things that they would probably not approve of, Brodie Lee sends them to the back. Well, when he sends them to the back, the Dark Order surrounds the ring and go to attack Omega and Paige. And once again, FTR comes out with another friggin' foam cooler, bashes it over heads, and they clear the ring. So uh, once again, FTR being the baby faces here, which works for now. But just wait till they turn heel. Wait till they turn heel. The matches that they're going to have are going to be what we've been missing from tag team wrestling. They had it. Don't get me wrong. They had it in NXT on those runs when they were having the matches with Tommaso and Champa and uh, forget American Alpha. Those were some NWA tag team matches that you could still talk about now. Go back and watch those matches. I dare you. Watch them. They're tremendous. Hikaru Shida took on Diamante on this card. This match was the shits. But Hikaru Shida defeated Diamante. Moving on. I am AEW. I bleed black, white, and gold. I'm the guy who's going to be leading this company for the next 25 years. Do the math and grab a calculator. And that is why I'm making a promise to you that I will not stop until we go from happily glad-handing each other for being the alternative and transform this brand into the pinnacle of professional wrestling. very poignant remarks from uh, John Moxley I am challenging you for your world title and announcing my candidacy as the aew world champion I'll see you at all out John son we of deserve better I agree with MJF. the we promo of promos this past Wednesday night from Mjf it was supposed to be the state of the industry And this guy came out and cut the promo of promos. This could be easily the promo of the year. But what we get out of it is MJF challenging John Moxley for the world title, which I'm assuming will take place Labor Day weekend at All Out. MJF. I'm getting chills talking about this. That promo was. Whew, John Moxley is so stale, and we've talked about this several times. Moxley needs to drop the title. He needs to get, his, get you know, get some momentum back, but in the meantime, you've got to go with MJF. MJF is the only only guy in all of Aew that has not had a singles loss. Uh, do i need to say anything else his matches are tremendous and every time somebody gets in the ring with this guy they come down to his level and i don't mean that in a bad thing i say they slow down they they let him get his heat in they sell longer and when he wants the time to, to get the shit in so that people can start firing up on him so he can do the, the 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 shit heel selling, he does that too. This guy he 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 is what turns chicken salad or turns chicken shit into chicken salad. And I am just looking forward to them actually doing that. And if they're smart, they're gonna get the titles the the title off of John Moxley. Darby Allen, John Moxley, Brian Cage, Ricky Starks was your main event here. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. The finish came when Darby Allen had a skateboard with with no trucks, no wheels on it, just the board, and there was a bunch of thumbtacks glued to the back of it, and he jumped off the top rope. And stomped it into the back of Ricky Starks. What the fuck was this shit? Seriously, what the fuck was this shit? It was horrible. It looked bad for Ricky Starks, who's one of your new signees. And it wasn't even a hardcore match. Why did this need to happen? You could use that as the, the, the finish to a, a, a blood feud match but not here. It was completely out of place, completely horribly used, and I was not a fan of this whatsoever. Darby Allen does not need the plunder and extra bullshit to be over. People love him because of the fact of his size, his look, his presence, and what he can do in the ring. That's what people like about him. He's very Jeff Hardy-esque, and they keep talking about that all the time because he is. And look at Jeff Hardy. His char- his charisma has gotten him where he is, and I'm sure Darby Allen's going to be the same way, but I do not see the need for them to continue to do the things that they're doing like this that are completely unnecessary with a guy like Darby Allen. Again, that's just me. Like I said, we've had some great weeks of dynamite. We've had some shit weeks of Dynamite. And despite a promo and a debut, oh, oh, I forgot another debut. Being that they announced the tournament, the 16 women tournament for AEW, there's going to be uh, the first match tomorrow night, Tuesday night, on AEW's Dark Program. We saw the debut this week in a backstage promo with Nyla Rose. Nyla Rose's tag team partner is going to be former Funklodactyl Cameron real name is Arianne Andrew, who who appeared, and she will be the partner of Nyla Rose, accompanied by Vicky Guerrero, in this tournament. Felt that that would be an interesting thing. People seem to shit all over Arianne's uh, uh, re-debut, as well as Matt Cardona's. But here's the thing, guys. You need to remember. These people were booked the way that they were. Doesn't mean at all that they were booked, you know, like they, they, they're horrible wrestlers. They were just booked that way for the last 10 years. So you have the perception that they're horrible wrestlers. In fact, when you, in reality, when you look back at the 80s, the 90s, the Iron Mike Sharps, the Barry Horowitz of the world, they were the ones who were the probably the best wrestlers because they could adapt to any situation. If you needed them to go out on a house show and go 20 minutes in the opener and have a convincing match, they could. It just the underneath guys are the ones that learn because they know how to sell because they have to sell. So give them a chance. Give them a chance. Matt Cardona's got a better look than ninety percent of the guys on that fucking roster. Dude looks like a star. Give him an opportunity. Moving on to NXT from this week, we opened up with Dakota Kai and Candice LeRae versus Io Shirai and Tegan Knox. They had an an okay match. My thing is this, and I went to uh, our Twitter, at PowerbombsPPN, and talked about this. I fucking, I, I, I do not like this Dakota Kai, Io Shirai thing. Because why? The most heat that Dakota Kai has had was when she turned on Tegan Knox in the war games. Besides that, what has she done? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So because Io Shirai goes on and has a 30-minute main event TV match with Tegan Knox that she wins, and she gets jumped afterwards by Dakota Kai, now Dakota Kai magically is the number one contender. Are we fucking serious right now? Who is booking this shit? I, 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 Tegan Knox and Io Shirai had a great match. You could have built more on that. And when they put the belt on Charlotte Flair, I wanted all these matches. I wanted matches with people. like That would have been fine. Not Io Shirai. They're, they're, they're killing the credibility of this title because it's they're going on three, four-week rotations of feuds. Tegan, I mean, Io Shirai is not Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair worked where every week there was a new competitor because somebody wanted to step up to the big-time main eventer. That made sense. But not Io Shirai, who is now the top woman in your in your company. Well, despite Rhea Ripley, who they've managed to try and keep off TV as much as they could, because she's not in the title picture, which is where she belongs. But you got to build a feud here, you. Unless their thought process is this: we're just going to give Io a bunch of different feuds so she can run over everybody really quick, just to get back to Rhea, so that. You know, maybe there's some credibility there. Only for Rhea to run back over because that's what's probably going to happen. Uh, WWE, I don't care if it's NXT or uh, Raw or SmackDown. I don't know what the hell they're doing, but they need to figure out their shit. Well, let's talk about where a wrestling match broke out on this show with Johnny Gargano versus Roderick Strong. And in the end... Gargano beat Roderick Strong with the one final beat DDT in a great match. These two, you know, went, uh, I believe, two, maybe three segments on this show. And it was uh, what this show needed. Because after this, we got Shotzi Blackheart. Again, I've said before, I don't understand Shotzi Blackheart. Uh, But she took on Mercedes Martinez here. And uh, Mercedes Martinez, of course, as you'd imagine, ran over Shotzi Blackheart, because Mercedes Martinez is an intimidating-looking wrestler, and she is a badass chick. Mercedes Martinez for Io Shirai's title. I'd be all about that. Mercedes Martinez, Rhea Ripley, which is honestly where I think is the direction that that should go first. Let those two go at it. Keith Lee fired up this week, and he still didn't really fire up, but had a promo against uh, Karrion Cross. I want to see this guy get mad. Please, please. Look, what, the look that they do when they shoot that angle, when somebody's in the corner and Keith Lee just pops up with a really pissed off face, that's the Keith Lee, Keith Lee that I want to see. I want to see that guy cutting promos. Because that guy looks like a scary motherfucker that's going to rip someone's head off. So why doesn't he speak that way? He is your champion. You knew this. Going in to putting your title on him. The problem is this. This guy cannot cut a promo. And until he does, if Vince takes him, Guy's gonna be jobbing his first week. <sighs> Great in the ring, tells tremendous stories. Horrible, horrible on a microphone is Keith Lee, and I've talked about that in prior weeks as well. We're gonna skip over Imperium versus Everrise because nobody gives a fuck about Everrise, the fucking Mounties. Uh, but Imperium will be uh, taking on the returning. Kyle O'Reilly, who will be tagging up with Bobby Fish this week on NXT TV uh, to go for the NXT World Tag Team titles. Isn't it kind of crazy that you kind of forgot that the World Tag Team titles were even with Imperium? Because they haven't even been seen on TV in well over a month. But Kyle O'Reilly, if you didn't know, he has, I believe, type 1 diabetes and is uh, more at risk For negative effects to the coronavirus. So he has been staying far away. Let's bring him back now. Motherfuckers. Why not? We've only seen him since the pandemic. In the skits. With uh, Roderick Strong. In the psychologist. A couple months back. So looking forward to that match. Um, The main event on this. Finn Balor. Dexter Lumis. Timothy Thatcher. They get a spot in the winner of this. Gets a spot in that ladder match. For the recently vacated North American title, which will take place at NXT TakeOver 30, Saturday night, August the 22nd, coming up in just a couple of weeks. This match was okay, but, you know, Jim Cornette kicks himself in the fucking asshole every time he has to watch another triple threat match. Because, I don't know if you know this, but Jim Cornette created the triple threat match in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Where in the entire time of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, he did one triple threat match. WWE got wind of this and, well, the rest is history for professional wrestling ever since. Three ways, four ways, five ways, six ways. We've seen them all in the last 25 years. But Jim Cornette, thank you for, you know, shitting on yourself, buddy. And shitting on everyone else who has to watch some horrific triple threat matches. This match... It was okay. It was what it needed to be. But the thing that's weird here is that Dexter Loomis choked out Timothy Thatcher here. Dexter Loomis got tapped out on last week's TV. And this week he taps out Timothy Thatcher, who has been untouchable. What the fuck are we doing? What are we doing? So Dexter Loomis and Killian Dain are your two people so far that are now in that title match at NXT TakeOver 30. Again, stellar show. Final show we're talking about, SmackDown from this past week. First match, uh, was AJ Styles' Grand Metalique, followed by Penn Sauk in New Jersey's own Lince Dorado. <sighs> this was a good match, you know, and they got a lot of time. These two went about 20 minutes. AJ Styles, of course, in the end, ends up winning this match. I'm okay with it. It was what it needed to be. AJ Styles once again having a match with somebody underneath and giving them an opportunity to prove themselves. It's all... All AJ Styles is needed for. And then eventually you throw him into the main event matches. Tremendous here. Corbin had the fucking shit match here. With Drew Gulak. Drew Gulak is so good. Drew Gulak is so good. But him and, and Corbin... Just did not mesh here. At all. Afterwards, uh... Matt Riddle hits the ring and then gets attacked by Shorty G who's trying to take up the bounty that Corbin has put out on the head of Matt Riddle. Shorty G, the name Shorty G cannot be a heel. Turn him heel. I don't give a fuck. I love Chad Gable, but he's got to be Chad Gable if he's going to be a heel because Shorty G screams baby face to me. Big E had his debut as a single on this show against The Miz. Well, his re-debut, I guess, since the New Day is the beginning of his singles run, quote-unquote. And he won. Um, I think that Big E would have had a better match with Morrison. Because you'd think with Miz, Miz would be there to sell for him. But he really didn't. He ended up tapping out to this uh, stretch move where he took his leg and... Bent the knee over the back of his head and stretched him out there and tapped him. But that was kind of a flat match for me. They escalated Naomi and Lacey Evans in a really rough match. Naomi ended up winning here, but they she did this sliding, what she referred to as a blockbuster. But everybody's like, it's clearly a Canadian Destroyer. The Canadian Destroyer, you get on the person's back with your arms around them and you do the full flip. A blockbuster uh, is where you grab the head and do the front flip over them. Well, Lacey Evans is outside of the ring. Naomi does a running slide from one side of the ring to the other and slides out and jumps on her back and does a front flip. And she says that it was a blockbuster. Girl, just admit that you fucked up. It didn't look good. And to do a Canadian Destroyer anyway, the person taking it needs to do a backflip. Lacey Evans had no room to backflip. Lacey Evans could have gotten very, very hurt on that move. So shame on you, Naomi. You want to be done better by yourself? Well, guess what? You need to come up with fucking safer moves for everybody else that's in the ring. Mandy and Otis finally reappear on this show. She sends Otis away, and then Sonya Deville appears. Sonia Deville then proceeds to attack Mandy Rose, who instantly, the right side of her tank top ripped. Thankfully, her gimmicks were taped in here. And um, she proceeded to put makeup all over Mandy's face and then cut Mandy's hair off. Clearly, they were extensions because you could tell where the difference in colors were. But that's besides the point because it seems like we are leading to a hair match. With Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose. You know when this would have made a lot of sense? Like. Like April. Maybe May. Right after the Wrestlemania match. But not. In August. When we've literally not touched this feud. In months. Months. (sighs) If we go hair versus hair, the obvious answer here is that Sonia's going to go, she's going to shave her head. It's the only thing that makes sense here. (sighs) Also on this show, it seemed like they're teasing a John Morrison and Miz versus Otis and Tucker feud. Fast forward through that one. The main event on this show is... Bailey defending the women's title for the second time in as many weeks against Nikki Cross. In the end, Nikki Cross loses this match with that trap headlock driver that Bailey's been doing. She loses clean in the ring, the three count. Alexa Bliss comes in afterwards trying to console her friend. Nikki pushes her down and storms off. And while Alexa is laying there, confused and upset that her friend just pushed her the lights go out the fiend reappears for the first time in months in the ring and in the most awkward creepiest of ways now he appears and he he slowly walks around her and he kind of was like gyrating his hand out almost and I kind of felt like he was going to extend the hand to Alexa Bliss to pick her up, which would have then kind of then you would have thought turn Alexa heel to be with Bray as something which is weird to me. Obviously, Alexa is a better heel than a baby face, but she's never had a singles baby face run. But what ends up happening instead is he eventually gets down on one knee after circling her a couple of times like a fucking hawk, gets down on one knee, and takes his hand, and slowly, it it literally took this man like 45 seconds to get here, slowly puts his hands closer and closer and closer to Alexa Bliss's face before he finally gives her a mandible claw and we go off the air with Alexa Bliss selling in the middle of the ring, taking the mandible club from The Fiend. Who booked this shit? I was very uncomfortable watching that, which I think that that's what they were going for. I think it would have still done the same thing without the the creepy 45-second hand to... From the body to the mouth of Alexa Bliss thing. That's just me. Uh, But personally, I... (sighs) They brought the Alexa Bliss factor into the Swamp Match back a couple weeks ago at the horror show that was Extreme Rules. But now, is this going to be what brings Braun back? because the fiend has taken out Alexa Bliss. <sighs> I have no words. And because I have no words, all I'm going to say is this. Watch Talk and Shop Mania. You'll laugh. You won't be angry like I was during this podcast. Crack open a couple of beers. Order Talk and Shop Mania. And we'll talk to you next week on power bombs and potable. So then, stay safe. Stay over.